welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast. This week, coming to you from the Birmingham Mac. My name is Dan Schreiber, and please welcome to the stage. It's the three regular elves: Andy Murray, Anna Chizinski, and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, James Harkin. Okay, my fact this week is that in 2005, there were plans to make a 50-foot-tall robot Michael Jackson that would roam around the Nevada desert. (laughs) How how advanced were these plans? (laughs) They were pretty advanced. Yeah. Um, um, Michael Jackson was going to do a residency in Vegas, and they wanted to advertise it, and this was their big idea. They were going to do a massive robot. He was going to wander around the desert. He was going to fire lasers out of his eyes. <laughs> and the idea is, as you were flying into to Vegas airport, the first thing you see when you came into Vegas was a massive Michael Jackson. Well, this was a couple of months after he had been acquitted on charges of child molestation. And for some reason, raising money was a problem for this project. (laughs) Um. I think then they scaled down a bit, didn't they? And they decided to make a Michael Jackson-themed hotel and casino in Vegas, which had a smaller robot at the door. That's right. Uh, And that would also fire lasers from a huge Michael Jackson face that was going to be painted on the huge hotel. Yeah. So, uh, So the hotel didn't happen either. No, no, none of this happened. But, I mean, they always have these big plans in Vegas, don't they, of what they're going to do, and, and this one didn't quite work out. I, I read one thing that they were going to do, which was make a life-size Starship Enterprise uh, that was going to be in Vegas. And that got quite far down the line that they were going to do this, but they never wow. did in the end. Is that Star Trek? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Um, oh. I really like the idea of turning certain celebrities into robots. I think it's quite a nice <laughs> idea. No, sorry, not like the existing living ones into, <laughs> into a cyborg. Like, for example, uh, Philip K. Dick, they actually made a robot of Philip K. Dick and they left his head on a plane accidentally and it became a huge story of where's Philip K. Dick's head. Not the, <laughs> so the, the, the robot, robot head. Philip, yeah, it was a robot head. Um, yeah. But so yeah, so they did it with Philip K. Dick. Um, I wish they did it with Michael Jackson. What, what was the sorry? What was the purpose of the Philip K. Dick one? Uh, I was, think it was it just was... so that they could have the headline "Dick Head Missing." <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. No, it, was, it was obviously the connection that he has with do uh, electronic sheep. Yeah. yeah. Do robots dream of electric sheep? Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was just such a founder of the idea. So they were trying to do AI and they created a Philip K. Dick robot but lost his head. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, I was uh, reading about uh, robots and walking robots and okay. why it's so hard to make walking robots. So the distance record for a walking robot is 54 miles, which is amazing. Well, it's longer than I can walk. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but it was a very set path. So it was around a flat course in an indoor arena. Um, and it then ran out of battery power and it stopped. And the article I read about it said, unconscious and immobile, Xingji earned a Guinness World Record. And it has a little moustache painted on the front. But it, the thing is, it's not very useful because to walk on rough terrain is much, much harder. I mean, almost impossible. Yeah. And, and it just walked around in circles. Exactly. And as the article says, the robot is not really designed for real world applications as there are few jobs that require a robot to walk a smooth circular path until it collapses. <laughs> Uh, I read an exciting bit of robot news okay. uh, yesterday as well, which is that uh, there is a robot currently writing new episodes of the sitcom Friends. How can they tell? It's- 
So it's, uh, it's interesting. It's a guy called Andy Hurd, and he's been feeding all the scripts of Friends into a machine, and it's been generating what effectively is just really weird fan fiction <laughs> of Friends, but doing full scripts. And, you know, it doesn't make total sense. They've, they've put a few extracts online. One is, um, this is from Chandler. So brackets, first off, Chandler. Brackets in a muffin. Um, <laughs> Brackets runs to the girls to cry, and then the dialogue, can I get some presents? <laughs> so that's where that's at at the moment. That um, sounds absolutely I mean, fantastic. They, well, they're doing a reunion of friends. If they should take one of these scripts yeah. and film it. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds better amazing. than actual friends, and I'm a huge fan of actual friends. That sounds incredible, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I read quite a cool headline about robots, and that is USA challenges Japan to a giant robot battle. Wow. wow. That sounds cool, doesn't it? Where can we get tickets? Well, wow. these, I don't really know, but it's, um, there's a company called Megabot USA that raised $1.8 million through Kickstarter to make a massive robot. And apparently, there's one other company in the world that makes massive robots, and they're from Japan. And they've challenged each other to a big fight, and it's going to happen sometime this year. Uh, each robot suit will be piloted by a team, and both are laden with guns that can shoot paint-filled cannonballs. I imagine Japan are going to absolutely smash that. Every impressive robot uh, advance you hear about comes from Japan, doesn't it? Yeah, probably. Um, there's one which is, comes from Harvard University, which is robo-bees, uh, which are quite cool. So these robot bees, they can swim and fly. Swim like a puffin. Apparently, rather, than, I don't know why you would make them swim like a fish. <laughs> what do they fly like? They like fly. <laughs> that was Muhammad Ali's rejected slogan, wasn't it? <laughs> swim like a puffin, fly like a car. <laughs> they fly like a bee, but they can be used to pollinate crops in future. They think, and to, for various oh, really? uh, reasons, but uh, yeah, autonomously pollinate crops that are struggling to be pollinated naturally uh, for search and rescue operations, military surveillance, traffic monitoring. We'll have little robo bees buzzing above our cars. Wow, it's quite uh, cool. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Exciting. Can I um, can I uh, bring up a couple of Michael Jackson facts? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, when Michael Jackson died, I read this massive biography of him. And um, they, they're such an interesting family. Like when the Jackson 5 got big and then the subsequent solo careers, Joe Jackson, the dad, started releasing his own products, thinking I can ride this wave of celebrity. Uh, he released a competitor to Coca-Cola. <laughs> he went, oh, yeah. I want to take these guys on, releasing Joe Cola. Um, but this is a thing I, that I didn't know about him, which is the family are Jehovah Witnesses. At least they were back in the day. And the mum didn't want Michael Jackson and the family to lose their connection with the Jehovah's Witnesses despite being famous. So even at the height of his fame, when they were doing Blame It on the Boogie and stuff, Michael Jackson still had to go door to door undercover as a Jehovah's Witness to tell no people. Way. Yeah. And everyone who they've interviewed about it said, well, it was blatantly Michael Jackson at our door. He had just like a fake mustache. And he was like, hi, can I talk to you about? And they were like, it's Michael Jackson. Yeah, of course he can. Wait, wasn't, wasn't he five when they were doing Blame It on the Boogies? No, no he was an adult. No, no, he, been, was, oh, okay. uh, he was like a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> who is it? Well, I think it's Michael Jackson, but he's, he's got a moustache on. <laughs> so that he used to amazing. go for hours and they would just be like, of course you can talk to us about it. And he would sit in their house and he'd be stuck there and he would be probably the only Jehovah's Witness in history going, how am I going to get out of this house? <laughs> I like the message, but maybe could you sing a few bars of it? <laughs> Okay, so he recycled that disguise, I think, because so his two security guards, who were security guards for the last few years of his life, have written a book, and they say that whenever they had to go shopping, he would sneak out the back in disguise. So we all might have seen Michael Jackson, but we wouldn't know. And once in 1989, he went shopping in disguise. He was wearing a false moustache, but also a red baseball cap. 
and a Afro wig. And he was arrested because he looked like a shoplifter. <laughs> One of the phrases in the news article at the time I liked from this, just because I'd never heard it before, was one of the security guards who arrested him. And then he started saying, this guy who looked like a crazy man said, uh, I'm Michael Jackson. And so the security guard said, my first thought was this guy had gotten off the elevator between floors. <laughs> and I Googled that phrase and it's not a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, we're going to have to move on to our second fact. So it's time for fact number two, and that is Andrew Hunter Murray. My fact is that in the 16th century, people disliked hedgehogs because it was believed that they sucked cows' udders. <laughs> so this is a genuine myth, if you like, about hedgehogs. So I looked into it. I found loads of books, 19th century, 18th century, all saying, and so the later ones are debunking it. So there's one from 1862 which says that the hedgehog sucks the milk from cows is a vulgar error. It is structurally impossible for the hedgehog to drain the udder of the cow. <laughs> are hedgehogs famous for standing on their back legs? No. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, but cows lie down at night. You're thinking of people. Oh, like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You are thinking of... Hedgehogs are lactose intolerant, aren't they? What? Are they? So oh, they, yeah. <laughs> are they lactose intolerant? Yes, stop giving them milk, everyone. Yeah. Uh, well, like a lot of cats are lactose intolerant, but I think almost all hedgehogs are lactose intolerant, so they get really sick when you Oh, I read it milk. gives them diarrhoea. Yeah. And then they come back and have more milk because they've had diarrhoea. Because they like that so much. <laughs> no, sorry, they're, they're, they're dehydrated, is why they come back for more of it, so right. people think they like it. So hedgehogs were originally called urchins, mm. yeah. and that's where sea urchin comes from, because yeah. it looks like a hedgehog of the ocean. Yeah, yeah urchins are still called sea hedgehogs in Dutch. <laughs> urchins as in Victorian Cockney youths. Yes. <laughs> Just a pack of sea hedgehogs out there. <laughs> um, I, I can tell you something else that people used to think about hedgehogs. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Pliny, who's one of our favourite guys, Pliny the Elder, uh, he wrote that hedgehogs could climb trees, knock down apples, and then roll on the apples, put them on their spikes, and then run away stealing the apples. Oh. <laughs> it's good, though, isn't it? They can't do that. <laughs> Why, but, why have they not worked that out? That's fantastic. <laughs> they roll into balls. They roll into balls, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the spikes just aren't spiky enough. Um, no, but th that was believed into the 19th oh, yeah. century. There oh, were yeah. debunkings of it. And that they can climb. They can climb up walls. Walls? Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking of spiders. <laughs> I'm not. I have read people saying they can climb <laughs> into a first... Into a, into a first floor flat. <laughs> into a first floor flat, was that, yeah. right? How come Dan gets away with aliens? <laughs> All right, get it together. Yeah. Should, Maybe, we talk, should we talk about hedgehogs, Anna? Let's talk more about hedgehogs. Um, yeah. So you know how they can go into a bowl, Dan was saying? Yeah. yeah. Um, the muscle which allows them to go into the bowl is the same muscle that you use when you're frowning. Oh, yeah. So, you know, when your face kind of crunches up like that, their muscle, uh, their version of that muscle in your face goes all the way down their body, and it's that that turns them into a ball. And they do an arse frown, don't they? Because they do it <laughs> on the front. The first thing they do is frown with their front, and then oh, their yeah. spines come over wow. their face. And then they do an arse frown with the end of their spine, and then that makes their spines cover their bum. And then they have a third muscle which latches those two uh, bits of ball together so that they can't and they can, they can sit like that for hours That's and hours so can't they wow. it's amazing it must be so cosy yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, I read another 
few quotes from 17th, 16th century sources about hedgehogs. And uh, one of them is from 1607. It's a book called The History of Four-Footed Beasts. And it's about what foxes do when they find a hedgehog. And apparently it was thought that when a fox finds a hedgehog, it licketh gently the face and snout of the hedgehog, by that means bringing himself to unfold himself and to stand upon his legs, which being done, he poisoneth the beast with the urine that he rendereth upon the hedgehog's face. <laughs> so it pees on its face. So they thought foxes weed hedgehogs to death. Yeah, which wow. I, don't, I don't think. I heard another thing about foxes and urine and hedgehogs, which is that... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I've got four or five of these. Yeah, yeah. Too, yeah. Um, just that foxes, I read that when you had a hedgehog in a bowl, then a fox would urinate on it to make it open itself up and then go for the, oh. for the fleshy bit inside. Ah. And that's like, a, I think still some people in the countryside believe that. I don't know if it's true or not, but a lot okay. of people think it. Yeah. Right. They also are immune to snake venom, mostly. Or not completely immune, but almost completely resistant to snake venom. Right. So uh, they can, hedgehogs have been known to kill snakes, poisonous snakes. Because wow. Snakes wow. Bite them. They can bite back. And they do this other, sorry, <laughs> just doing a run of hedgehog facts now. Uh, but they cover themselves in really gross substances and we don't know why. Mm. So they roll they around. They self-anoint, don't they? Like yeah. they spit on themselves a little bit. Is yeah. That right? Exactly. So that when they find weird stuff like turpentine, which is obviously very potent, or uh, tobacco, they'll chew it and then they like get a little lather worked up in their mouth and they spit all over their spines. Uh, so they cover themselves in terps or tobacco or something like that. And we don't know why it is. It might be to make their spines a little bit toxic um, or it might be to kill parasites, but it might just be for fun. I read one, th- one idea was that, it's that they were trying to camouflage themselves. The, the smell would create a sort of camouflaged effect. And I just love the idea that it there's no truth to that, and the hedgehogs don't know it. And oh, they're yeah. just walking around going, he has no idea that I'm here. He thinks I'm a cigarette. <laughs> hope, hope no one smokes me. <laughs> you know, um, when you're playing Sonic the Hedgehog, if you go underwater, uh, Sonic drowns and you lose a life. Okay. It, they, they forgot to fact check that because uh, hedgehogs actually can swim so there was a lot of unnecessary not, death is what I'm are saying are you thinking it? about humans again <laughs> no, hedgehogs can swim can they yeah yeah oh. for a bit so um, like, <laughs> they, re- they were actually quite regretful of the fact that they didn't fact check uh, the fact that they could swim because that could have led to great so, you know some great underwater levels they, they should have had Sonic die by a fox urinating on his face <laughs> Uh, should we move on to the next yeah, fact? Yeah, let's move on. Okay, it's time for fact number three, and that is Chazinski. My fact this week is that the English philosopher Herbert Spencer had an angry suit specially made, which he wore only when he was feeling irritable. <laughs> so this is Herbert Spencer, uh, just to go through who he is, he's basically Charles Darwin. Uh, <laughs> but he's also not Charles Darwin. <laughs> So he's the guy, first of all, he popularized the term evolution. He said that in uh, 1852, I think, in a book he wrote, which was seven years before Darwin wrote The Origin of Species. And even in The Origin of Species, Darwin used it very sparingly. He only used evolution for the first time in the sixth edition, I think, whereas Herbert Spencer was using it all over the shop. And he also came up with the term survival of the fittest. And then Darwin liked that. And so he used the term survival of the fittest to replace the term natural selection, which he'd come up with which wasn't nearly as catchy. And Darwin called him 20 times my superior. 
Totally loved him. Wow. He's a good guy. And he had some kind of suit. What's this suit? Oh, yeah, right, the suit. So it was a it was a woolly garment, apparently, and it was designed so that there would be minimal exertion in getting dressed, because I guess when he's in a bad mood, he doesn't want to have to go to the trouble of putting proper clothes on. And so <laughs> it was basically an elaborate onesie, but it has the shoes fitted and a coat fitted, and you just stepped in with your legs first, and then you got your shoulders in, and you zipped it up. And you just went... Ah! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you went and beat some people up. And then, yeah, you had boots, trousers, and coat on. Wow. And sometimes he wore it for weeks at a time, apparently. That's how angry wow. a man he sometimes was. <laughs> I read uh, that he got angrier when he was wearing it because people kept laughing at him, saying, <laughs> what are you wearing? <laughs> and it, yeah, his, people would stare at him in the streets. But I had no idea that the onesie um, yeah. went back that far because we've talked before on the podcast about maybe... Churchill invented yeah. the onesie because yeah. he had a special... It's like a, a boiler suit It was an adapted boiler suit which he would wear in the cabinet war rooms. So I thought that was the very first uh, onesie. But this is definitely earlier. So um, Herbert Spencer was quite a weird guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was bloody um, weird. He decided he should avoid all overstimulation for the sake of his health. And so if he thought conversation was getting a bit too excited, he would move to another room. Which <laughs> <laughs> is quite good. And if he ever sat next to an ugly person at dinner, he would move so he wouldn't risk his digestion. <laughs> he what? would also, if um, he didn't have the liberty to move to another room, he always carried earplugs with him so that if conversation <laughs> was boring to him or getting him overexcited, he would just put earplugs in to block out irritating people. Uh, I read that he put them in if he was losing in an argument. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically la la la. Yeah. Yeah. He invented the la la la. Amazing. <laughs> Wow. That's the thing, you know, he also is said to have invented the prototype of um, the paperclip. Yes. Really? So it sounds like he's invented a lot of things, but this whole survival of the fittest thing is really getting the headline <laughs> <laughs> on quite an extraordinary life. Um, um, one of his paperclips is in the British Library, I think. Uh, you can still see it. But it was quite successful in his time. It made him £70 in profits in its first year. Wow. Which wow. in those days was a lot of money. Um, but then it kind of, you know, stopped being that popular after that. Um, I, I was looking into other interesting suits that have been invented. Okay. And there's a there's a really exciting one, which is Bat Sensor's suit. And so the idea, and it's actually for blind people, it's a really, it's a really great idea. It helps to sense when objects are near. It's a really advanced bit of technology that they're working on. Wow. So that you have the ability to, I guess, an advanced version of the walking stick uh, that, that can help yeah. you find it's yeah. that kind of thing so they've been inventing that that's in a prototype stage at the moment okay. which I think is really like, exciting. it's like having whiskers basically yeah like yeah sensing stuff around you that's so cool yeah it's amazing and then this is not a suit but um a lady called eleanor bodnar who's a scientist uh invented a bra that doubles as a gas mask which is really oh, cool yeah. the idea is that in the event of a very chaotic moment of gas going off everywhere uh you can just take the bra off and you can put it over your face but it actually works um Really cool. Do you know there's um, some cows in Russia that are wearing bras? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Uh, in Siberia. What? Uh, because Why? it's so cold that their nipples will freeze if they don't wear these bras. Well, so how... hedgehogs can't quite get through the bra. <laughs> They're fumbling around with the straps at the back. <laughs> when they've scaled the side of the cow. To get <laughs> they can do it, okay? They can climb. <laughs> I will go to the wall over this one. <laughs> Um, well, have they been moved there? Because presumably they didn't evolve to be in Siberia where their nipples would freeze. No, but of course so, there are farmers in Siberia yeah. and people need, you know, food and, and milk and whatever. I don't think they have cows in Siberia. Uh, they do in this place in Oymyakon. 
which is in Siberia. And the local civic leader said that the um, the cows seem to like it because it can't be nice to have such cold teats. Um, mm. Actually, just on cows, because I found out the most amazing thing about cows the other day that maybe everyone knows, but a lot of cows have windows in their stomachs. So um, this is so we can study cows' digestion and like uh, work out how to feed them better, work out what they should be eating. We've got these portholes, these transparent portholes, which we've done in a pa- created in a painless operation, apparently, according to the people who've done it. <laughs> yeah, according uh, to the cows or according to the people who are <laughs> cutting into the side of them, yeah. It's so creepy, though. You should look it up. And it works exactly like a petrol cap on a car. So <laughs> you can unscrew it really easily. If you're a vet, let's say, you unscrew it and you can dip your arm into a cow's stomach and you pull out the contents of its stomach. So one of the applications, for example, is if you've got a really sick cow that's not digesting stuff very well, then you go to the healthy cow that's got the window in its stomach and then you unscrew it and you put your hand in and you pick out the grass from in the stomach and you squeeze out its digestive juices because that cow has good digestive juices. And then you insert the digestive juices into the sick cow and then you put the grass back in the cow's stomach and it's like nothing ever happened. Isn't that bizarre? That, that is. is it's fine. i got to say, yeah. if Dan had said all that, I wouldn't have believed a word of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, can I talk very quickly about um, how other people have dealt with their anger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. please. So anger management. Mel Gibson, when he got in, the tr- in all the trouble he got into, um, he did an anger management course. Uh, his first meeting, immediately he had a verbal argument with the guy leading the meeting over a name tag that he was wearing, <laughs> saying, I don't need to wear a name tag. Everyone knows who I fucking am already, don't they? And, uh, and then the guy was like, okay, so I think you actually do need to do this course. <laughs> um, uh, in Dallas, there's a place you can go to called an anger room. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And you can just basically smash it up. They wow. put a load of stuff there, which is smashable. They give you a baseball bat and they say, do your worst. And it's... The, you know, you pay, I don't know, $50 for 15 minutes and you can smash up as much as you like and it's supposed to be a way to let it all out. 15 minutes is a long time to be that angry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, um, I've just found that. Um, so for five minutes, you get something which is called I Need a Break uh, mm-hmm. and you get five minutes in the anger room so and that's $25. It, to me. Okay. <laughs> okay, that sounds quite um, good. 15 minutes is $45 and that's called the Lash Out Session. And for 25 minutes of total demolition, <laughs> um, you have to pay $75. Presumably, you need to pre-book to get your anger oh, room. Yeah. So it must be when you're in the moment of absolute fury. <laughs> so imagine how bad the job is for the receptionist taking those phone calls. <laughs> I need an anger room right now. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We don't have a room for another week. What do we don't have a fucking room? <laughs> that would be the worst job you could ever have. Um... So just quickly back to Herbert Spencer, because he was a hilarious character. Uh, Just one more funny thing about him. He was obsessed with taking his pulse, so he was a hypochondriac. um, And he uh, used to, when he went out in a carriage, I think he was a bit afraid of travel. When he went out in a carriage, um, then he'd suddenly shout out, stop! And uh, in the middle of traffic in Piccadilly or Regent Street or whatever, the carriage would have to stop dead. All traffic's disrupted. Silence reigns. And he has to (laughs) consult the diktats of his pulse, this source says. And if his pulse is too fast, the carriage immediately had to turn around and go home. And if not, he could go on. And similarly, at train stations, he would bring... uh, First of all, he'd bring a woman to train stations when he was going to get on a train, specifically to read to him and then to wave him off as he departed. Mm -hmm. And 
Before getting on the train, he'd make his secretary take his temperature in a waiting room. Uh, if his temperature was fine, they had to string up a hammock in first class and he was good to go. <laughs> if his temperature was too high, then he sent the train away and stayed behind. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't have the authority to do that. Get out of here. We don't depart for another 10 minutes. I said get out of here. He was a powerful man. Um, he sent the train away while he stayed behind having his head wrapped in vinegar and brown paper. Oh, really? That's the thing. Yeah, That's it was a thing. thing it was I a think. thing. It's in the first ever uh, version of Jack, Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill, yeah. Yeah, the second, uh, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown and shot, came tumbling after. And then there's a second verse. Of Jack Gartz and Hunt trots as fast as he could caper. And he went to bed and mended his head with vinegar and brown paper. It's a Victorian version that says, and patched his knob with vinegar and brown paper. But they mean his head. But that was an old word for your head. Your knob. Your knob. <laughs> Imagine the confusion. <laughs> Yeah. Should we move on to our next fact? <laughs> yeah, let's move on. Yeah. Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is in order for Spider-Man to climb buildings, he would need size 89 feet. <laughs> <laughs> so they've just worked this out. You may have seen it in the news. Uh, they've just worked out that Spider-Man could not literally climb buildings with the size feet and hands that he has. On so- the other hand, if he was called Hedgehog Man, he would have no problem. <laughs> Well, he could certainly get into a first floor flat. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, I mean, it's... Can it's... we clarify what, because I don't know Spider-Man as well as some, so why wouldn't he just have to have super strong super glue on his hands and then they could be any size? Uh, do, is it something to do with the surface area of his hands that causes them to stick to buildings? So I think what this is, is it's done by zoologists, isn't it? Yes. And these are people who are studying geckos that climb up and they use van der Waals forces on their, on their hands and their paws to climb up things. But it depends on how big the surface is, that how easy it is for them to hold on. Now, if Spider-Man used this kind of tactic for climbing up walls, then he'd need massive feet. But do we know that he does? He could just be using superglue. The Van der Waals force is I don't know that superglue works that well because you just get stuck. <laughs> Imagine seeing him right at the ground floor. Yeah. No, but the idea is... That's a really good point. Because the, the weight increases so much um, with, with, uh, with your volume. So um, geckos use about 4% of their body surface area to climb. And even smaller animals like mites, they use 0.02% because they're so light in comparison with the surface area that uses this force. Okay. So for a human of the average weight to do it, you'd have to have adhesive pads covering uh, 40% of your body mm. to climb. And that's of your total body, so it would be 80% of your front. So it would, you, would, you would need basically all of you to be sticking to the wall <laughs> before you could climb up it. Wow. Yeah. You'd have to shuffle up really weirdly. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Geckos, um, actually, uh, when they're sticking to walls and ceilings, they kind of walk on air, don't they? Because they trap, um, so they've got tiny hairs on their feet and that when they're on a, when they're on a wet surface, so usually on a wet surface, I think the Van der Waals force would mean that you, you would slip off. It would be too slippery, but they trap air bubbles between these little hairs. And so essentially when they're walking on a wet surface up a wall or on a ceiling, they're walking on a thin layer of air, which is quite cool. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. So they're hovering. Yep, exactly. They're hovercrafts. That's incredible. Do you know that half the geckos in the world, half the species of gecko, can't climb up walls? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. That's quite cool. The world's stickiest salamander is a northern slimy salamander. Uh, and it's so sticky, it gives off this substance that's so sticky that if any predator tries to bite it, its mucus 
immediately seals the predator's mouth shut. Whoa. Wow. That's a good kind of thing to have, That's isn't so it? That's cool. Yeah. yeah. God. Um, just because we were saying about yeah, my idiot mistake, the fact that superglue would actually just stick you to a wall, <laughs> um, flies have this problem, I think. So flies have sticky feet, so they you know, can walk up walls and across ceilings, but then they also have to have little claws on their legs so they can scrape their feet off uh, once no. they, when they need to move them. Wow. So they stick to a surface and then they have to claw, claw their leg off in order to move it again. That's great. It's weird when you, when you get to that kind of level of um, life uh, where things become much more sticky because water is a big problem for flies and, and other insects because it, it's actually really sticky. And apparently, uh, surprisingly sticky for humans as well, water. So if you get out of the shower, for example, if you right. get out of the shower, a lot of water sticks to you okay. if you haven't wiped down properly. When you get out of the shower, you're a pound heavier. That's how much the water weighs that is sticking to you as you get out of the shower. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, some stuff on Spider-Man? Yeah, go yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, so the first Spider-Man comic is from 1962, but the word Spider-Man dates back to 1955. And the word Spider-Man originally meant someone who works on very high structures, oh, like really? a steeplejack. Really? Yeah. That's very cool. It's good, that, isn't it? Yeah. They yeah. call them why, So why were they called, I, I guess just they were just... Uh, yeah, like a spider climbing up a wall or a hedgehog or whatever. They're like, you know, <laughs> working somewhere really high. And a lot of those guys were itsy-bitsy as well. So <laughs> Spiders, uh, just quickly on, on climbing things, they have, yeah. um, they have 600,000 micro hairs on their legs in contact that can contact the walls. 600,000. And they can support... um, This has been studied by uh, Germany's Institute of Technical Zoology uh, 170 times their own weight. And the guys who studied this said, that's like Spider-Man clinging to the flat surface of a window by his fingertips and toes only while rescuing 170 adults who are clinging onto his back. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. They are better than he is. And this is why there's a mystery about spiders. The great spider mystery is why don't they stick to their own webs? Because they can support that and they've got all these tiny hairs. But we don't quite know. But I think we think that they lick uh, sort of lubricant onto their hairs, which means that they slide over their webs quite easily. And uh, someone in, I think, in 1905, a French naturalist tested this. So he put solvents on spiders' legs. And he found out that once you did that, then it would dissolve the lubricant that they'd licked on. And so they would stick to their webs. And then we decided to repeat the experiment recently and just pluck the legs off spiders and tested it again. And it's true. So they lick, they salivate onto their legs to make sure they slide over their webs. Okay. Wow. Um, I did some calculations about shoe sizes um, over this weekend. So I worked out that if I was a foot, I would need a size 195 shoe. (laughs) If it was a size 195 shoe and I was a foot, I would perfectly, my height would fit, so I'd be able to lie perfectly inside the shoe. Is that UK sizes? UK size, yeah. Okay. Did your wife have a fun weekend with you? (laughs) (laughs) Honey, honey, quick, quick, put me in here slowly and gently. (laughs) Would you go face up or face down? (laughs) If you were a foot. I don't think this working out is getting the respect it deserves. You said something else. Yeah. Uh, if the UK was a fud. <laughs> Sweetie, no, no, this time it's really important. Come back in, come back in. Yeah. If the UK was a fud, it would need a size 175,874,974 shoe, according to my calculations. <laughs> Big shoe. Which is approximately 200 million European size. <laughs> wow. 
You just should have done if Italy was a foot. <laughs> oh, of course. Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for being here. If you would like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on Twitter. I'm on at Schreiberland, James at Eggshaped, Andy at Andrew Hunter M, and Chazinski. You can email podcast.qi.com. Yep, or you can go to no such thing as a fish.com, our website, and we've got all the previous episodes up there. Uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that was fun, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Goodbye. 